Welcome to Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's, a patient-centered nonprofit organization. Your host, Meryl Comer, is a co-founder, 24-year caregiver, an Emmy Award-winning journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Slow Dancing with a Stranger. This is Brainstorm, and I'm Meryl Comer. Joining us today, Drs. Dean and Aisha Sharzai, co-directors at the Brain Health and Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University Medical Center. This dynamic husband and wife duo lead the largest clinical and observational study on Alzheimer's, and they're the co-authors of The Alzheimer's Solution on brain-healthy living to improve cognitive function and optimize long-term brain health. Thank you both for joining us today. So kind of you. Thank you so much for having us. We're excited to be here. You're both psychologists, so can you share with us your mission and how Team Sharezai divides up roles and responsibilities? We basically work around the vision. I mean, that's the way we met 18 years ago, around the conversation regarding our grandparents who suffered from Alzheimer's. Aisha's grandfather was a brilliant, brilliant surgeon from Columbia and then Johns Hopkins and had done incredible work internationally. And my grandfather was one of the most brilliant human beings. Same thing. And I remember him losing parts of his memory and the whole family was taken aback. One story in particular is him sitting in Virginia farm where we gather on the weekends and he forgot how to move a piece on chess set. And that that was, you would never expect that from him. So our first conversation was around that. So how we operate is basically around the vision, around the mission, around the purpose of creating a a new way of approaching dementia and, and diseases of the mind where it translates what happens in the clinics and the labs to real populations. So we focus more on real populations, whether it's with things like cooking, teaching people how to eat healthy around what they're familiar with, to real-life translation of stress management, real-life translation of how their lab values should be used in clinic, but not more importantly in their homes. So we think that the translational component is not there or has not been done well, and that's our focus. Now, Loma Linda happens to be in a blue zone where people reportedly live to be 100 years old. What is the cultural composition, and why is it ideal for the study of brain health? Loma Linda, or the Adventist Health Study, is the most validated study that looks at the profound influence of lifestyle on health in general. And one of the reasons we chose to go to La Melinda was to study the impact of that lifestyle on brain health specifically, which hadn't been done in large cohorts or populations. It's known as a blue zone, which essentially translates into, you know, parts of the world where they have the largest number of centenarians or people living over the age of 100. And when you look at the data from the Adventist Health Study, there are certain lifestyle factors that have proven to be very helpful for longevity and health. The most prominent one is diet um, and then exercise or physical activity, not living a sedentary life, focusing on the importance of social connections and meaningful cognitive activity, real life activities. So those are the factors that essentially stand out in these communities that have long lives and are relatively healthy. As long as 10 to 12 years longer than everybody else, which is just remarkable. The most conservative numbers half the rate of dementia than the rest of the population. 
How do you embrace issues of health equity and manage the challenging disparities related to social determinants of health? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, just to give a little better picture of this disparity in Loma Linda, which is literally the healthiest place on, on earth. I mean, if you go by the numbers, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, by every measure, it's actually life, the, the Adventists that live certain lifestyles. And, and even the beauty of that population is certain Adventists live less healthy and others live more healthy. And you see that manifest in outcomes. But then right next to Loma Linda, which is San Bernardino County or city of San Bernardino, where we have half a day of free clinic where people come to us from a different population, low socioeconomic population, completely different parameters, you see people in their 40s having strokes people in their 50s developing early signs of vascular dementia. So it's not the distance, it's literally lifestyle. You couldn't see a more disparate population distribution. You couldn't see more difference between two populations than San Bernardino and Loma Linda. And they're basically right next to each other. And it all has to do with lifestyle. And the way to overcome this is public health. We always say real estate is about location, location, location. Well, public health is about access, access, access. And the first access point is information. Second is resources, basic resources. And then the third level resources, which is hospitals, clinic, healthcare. But the first one is most important. The first one is listening to the communities. And for decades, what would happen is, and I literally saw this in, in San Bernardino, they would actually be reluctant to work with physicians. They say, oh, physicians would come, scientists would come, they would capture data and then go away. We would never see them again. Or their questionnaires wouldn't even make sense to us because the questionnaire would be created on 50-year-old white men and then applied to 70-year-old Hispanic women. And when it didn't work out, it would say they failed. No, they didn't fail. We as scientists failed because we didn't listen to the communities. We didn't search for their strengths, their resources, their limitations, where they are in the journey, and then meet them where they are as opposed to impose our will. And there's nothing uglier than a scientist imposing their will. Not to get too far out into that, but I think our main thing is what's called CBPR, Community-Based Participatory Research which means even at the level of creating questionnaires, you have to listen to what questions would even make sense. Aisha, you say that food is the single greatest tool we have in the fight against Alzheimer's. Define what brain-healthy living actually looks like and what gets in the way for most of us in terms of behavior modification. That's a great question, and I could probably talk about that for days. But when you look at the lifestyle factors that have been studied for brain health, food stands out. And it makes sense because food is something that we put in our bodies, and it determines the building blocks of our brain. It also produces the right kind of an environment for that beautiful brain of ours to grow and thrive and reconnect and heal itself. And I'm so happy that we have objective evidence for that now from different cohorts and different universities coming out with fantastic research showing that dietary patterns matter. We try to stay away from the concept of superfood or super vitamin because we don't eat one food at a time. We eat different kinds of foods together. And food is not just food. It's culture and tradition. It's our stories and memories. And so when you look at different parts of the world, the kind of dietary patterns they eat, all the different dietary patterns are a variation of the same theme. And the theme is eating unprocessed, 
more plant-predominant diet, which means a diet that is high in greens, beans, whole grains, other vegetables and fruits, nuts and seeds, and is low or devoid of harmful fats like saturated fats and trans fatty acids that are found in processed foods and that are low in salt, that are low in refined carbohydrates, all the sugars that are added to our foods. That's the theme, whether it's the MIND diet or the Mediterranean diet or the DASH diet or the dietary approach to stop hypertension, the diets that were studied at Columbia University where I was trained, the diet that the Adventist Health Study follows, they're all high in plants. And so that is the message. And it sounds, you know, Mediterranean diet sounds exotic and, you know, regional. But when you look at the construct, you get higher scores when you eat beans and greens and you get lower scores when you eat cookies and donuts. So that is one of the things that we're trying to share with our communities. And then besides diet, there are other factors that are important as well. Dean and I, we created a self-serving acronym called NEURO (laughs) because we're neurologists. But, you know, the N is for nutrition. E is for exercise. U is for unwind or stress management. R is for restorative sleep because sleep is such an important time for the brain to cleanse itself and for our memories to get consolidated. And O is for optimizing cognitive activities or engaging in real life activities that allows for the brain cells to reconnect and grow and continuously grow and heal itself for the rest of our lives. In your new book, The 30-Day Alzheimer's Solution, you write that 90% of us can avoid ever getting Alzheimer's, and for the 10% with strong genetic risk, the disease can be delayed by 10 to 15 years. Are you suggesting that those who do get Alzheimer's are responsible for their condition? Whenever we give that kind of information, we always worry that people think a sense of blame or inadequacy. And and no, no, it's not. This is the history of medicine. We learn as we go forward and say, we can do better. We can change X, Y, and Z. About 3% of Alzheimer's is driven by what's called the kind of genes that have 100% penetrance, meaning that 100% of the time the disease manifests. There are other diseases like that, Huntington's disease. If you have that gene on chromosome four, you're going to get the disease no matter what. 100%. The genes that are involved in 100% penetrance in Alzheimer's are presenilin-1, presenilin-2, and APP, and they constitute 3%. It goes without saying that for those 3%, there isn't much you can do to stop the disease. You can slow it down, but you can't stop it. But the other 90 plus percent, you can affect it significantly, especially if you started early, especially if you started comprehensively. So one of the protective factors is cognitive activity, right? So my grandfather, Aisha's grandfather, your husband, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people. So they had the cognitive activity down, right? But my grandfather's diet was absolutely terrible. And for some reason, philosophers are not supposed to exercise and he never exercised. And stress is another factor. All these other factors that over time can accumulate just as far as diet is concerned, The American Heart Association does a yearly thing where they look at how well we do with seven factors, and diet is one of them. And by their standard, which is not the optimal standard, but by their standard, guess what percentage of Americans are eating healthy? 0.4%. That's remarkable. This should be empowering. This shouldn't be about blame. It's about if we do better, if we make the environment more conducive for these things, we'll do so much better. Are the benefits of brain-healthy living age-dependent for optimal results? Or can you still teach someone older new ways to protect their brain? Absolutely. This magnificent organ of ours, the brain, has the capacity to grow at any age, whether we're 9 or 99. 
you know, as a scientist, I keep coming back to objective evidence. There have been studies that have been done on different populations that show, for example, people who are over the age of 55, if they engage in strength training and if they build their leg muscles, their hippocampi or the parts of the brain that are responsible for memory, it essentially grows in size. It makes more connections. Or for example, a mind diet, you know, adherence to a mind diet reduced the risk of Alzheimer's disease by 53%. And even moderate adherence reduced it by 35%. And this was tested in people who were over the age of 55. It's never too early to start and it's never too late to start. And at any stage of our lives, this matters. And I think that's a very empowering message because it's not an all or none phenomenon. Every small incremental of change in our lifestyle, whether it's eating a healthier diet or exercising or managing our stress better or having a purpose-driven complex and a challenging life, determines what kind of brains we have. Two-thirds of those living with Alzheimer's disease are women. Have you looked at the issue of sex-based differences between men and women when it comes to Alzheimer's disease? There's a bit of difference. When we were directors of brain health at Cedars-Sinai, we actually looked at this concept and we're still looking into this concept. And there are some differences, some sex differences, but there are some low-hanging fruits here. One of the factors that actually seems to contribute to the population that's gotten to us now where they're at risk, meaning people in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, that population is at greater risk, we believe, because when they were younger, during those periods of time when they were growing up, they had less complex jobs, by numbers, less education. That seems to be one variable. The other factor seems to be vascular risk factors. That's an opportunity. So if we know there are vascular risk factors, especially around pregnancy, we can manage those better and, and people will do better. And then the other element, which we need to learn more about, but we are beginning to learn some aspects of it is the hormones. Right around menopause and that period, how quickly should hormones be started or not be started? All of those factors. So there are many factors that we know to some extent, and already we have some opportunity to affect. So women who engaged in cognitive activity, like managing a podcast, they did a lot better there because that's challenging. A conversation is challenging. You listen to somebody, that's your left parietal lobe. You're looking at them, that's your occipital lobe. You're processing the information, it's your frontal lobe. You're being creative, it's your right parietal lobe. You're emotionally involved, it's your limbic system. That's your brain on fire. That's your brain being continuously active. So telling people who have not been active that much to get involved more, be more challenged, and that creates incredible protection. Our guests today, Drs. Dean and Aisha Sharzai co-directors at the Brain Health and Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University Medical Center and co-authors of the 30-Day Alzheimer's Solution. We'll continue our conversation with them on the brain-body connection and their partnership with Us Against Alzheimer's Brain Health Academy. Everything we do, every meal we choose, every environment we choose to be in, or the kind of people that we surround ourselves, it affects our brain first and then the rest of the body. That's it for this edition of Brainstorm. I'm Errol Comer. Thank you for joining us. Research now shows that many lifestyle habits that are good for healthy aging can also reduce the risk of dementia. Us Against Alzheimer's is partnering with the American Academy of Lifestyle Medicine to create Brain Health Academy, a series of free evidence-based courses 
to equip healthcare and wellness providers with the knowledge and resources to help people reduce the risk of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. To learn more, go to usagainstalzheimers.org and click on Brain Health Academy. Our virtual 2022 National Us Against Alzheimer's Summit brings together leaders from across the country working to end Alzheimer's disease. The summit explores solutions to the most pressing challenges facing the movement, also serving as an opportunity for thought leadership and partnership development. For more information about the Us Against Alzheimer's Summit, go to usa2summit.org. Support for Brainstorm by Us Against Alzheimer's comes from Karen and Chris Siegel. Subscribe to Brainstorm through your favorite podcast platform and join us for new episodes on the first and third Tuesday of every month.